Apple presents Meet the Musician at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Anthony DeCurtis from Rolling Stone, and tonight's guest, Mavis Staples. Hey, Anthony. Hey, Mavis. <laughs> so great to be here. Oh, I'm just honored to be here. Well, I'm I, honored. I, <laughs> you're here. Thank you. Uh, you know, I want to just, obviously, you know, we're here to talk about your new album, uh, One True Vine. And one thing I remember, you know, uh, when the Staple Singers made uh, a record in 1984 and you covered the Talking Heads song, Slippery People, <laughs> I, I interviewed you back then. I'm sure yes. you don't remember. <laughs> okay. I remember very well. And you went through the lyrics of that song and you just blew my mind. I mean, you discussed it, like, and you brought all of these kind of biblical associations to it. It was so deep. And I wanted, I wanted to ask you just about the idea of One True Vine and that song and those lyrics and that title for your new record. You know, what's, you know, what's the meaning of that for you? You know, it, um, it, um, it's just a blessing that I'm still here, you know. Uh, slippery People, One True Vine. Slippery People, I love those guys, them talk, talking heads. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> uh, um, that, then that guy, let me, I just have to tell you, he wouldn't talk to us girls. He wouldn't, he just talked with pops, you know. Oh, the, is that true, yeah, David Byrne? David Byrne, yeah. But, but uh, One True Vine is um, a song that, uh, is, it's, it's, uh, it's a song that, that reminds me that I made it. I'm still here, you know. And I think the, the first lyrics in it was, is, um, I was last in line. You know, and and uh, but I I uh, I made it over. I had an angel watching out for me and pulled me on through. I was I was I had done my worst. You know, I was dead at first. I had done my worst, and here I am. You know, my one true vine brought me through. I'm I was I was the last in line, and I'm grateful. I'm still here. You know, it's a it's a song that's very um, emotional. The lyrics that Jeff Tweedy put in that that song, I I, I looked at us and I said, Tweedy, where are you going? You know, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's he's such a good writer. You can't just jump off and sing a Tweedy song. He comes from almost another world, you know. But I'm grateful that he thinks that I can, can deliver his lyrics, you know. And um, I'm grateful that he write them for me because it's a whole new venture for me. It's, a, it's, a, it's challenging and um, it's, 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 it keeps you alive, you know, to keep doing something different. So uh, I, I, I give him a lot of credit for his writing, you know. Um, I never asked him, and I never asked him what any of his songs mean. I just take them for what I think they mean, yes. you know, and, and sing it the way I feel and from my heart. Well, now you mentioned Jeff Tweedy. Obviously, you know, you've been working with him now for the second record. You know, yes. You Are Not Alone was a very successful album. Yes, it was. Grammy Award winning. Yes. And... Um, you know, now you've done another record with him. You know, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, when he first approached you and, you know, what your ideas about him were and, you know, what, what the collaboration is like. How do you guys work together? Mm -hmm. You know, in 2006, both of us live in Chicago. Uh, Tweety's on the 
north side, I live on the south side. And we happened to be doing um, a concert at a little funky club on the north side of Chicago, the hideout. And um, Jeff Tweedy came to the dressing room, introduced himself. Uh, Wilco, my manager was there. He said, "Mate, this is Jeff Tweed from Wilco." You know, and I, I knew them. I had heard them. In fact, I had the the CD, Sky Blue Sky, and so I liked their music because they reminded me so much of the band. You know, and and Perfect, um, yeah. yeah, they they, I I um I, I met him. I was glad to meet him. He went down to the con- in fact, the entire Wilco band came to that concert. They we go downstairs and we do the concert afterwards. Tweety came backstage and complimented us on the show, and we laughed and talked a bit and took some pictures, and that was it. About three weeks later, my manager called and said, Mavis, Jeff Tweety wants to produce your next CD. I said, oh, really? Well, what is Jeff Tweety? I mean, he's such a youngster, you know, but that didn't mean anything either because I have had younger producers, you know, than Tweety. But uh, I just, you know, it's a rock star. They're, they're rocksters, you know. And um, he said, yeah, he wants to be. I said, well, I tell you, Dave, I have, to, I have to talk with him. I have to meet I met him backstage at the hideout. But I need to, to maybe we can have lunch and sit down and, uh, you know, I get to know him. Yeah. All right, I called this lunch. I made it on the south side. Where <laughs> and when, <laughs> when he came, you know, a lot of people are near, leery of the south side. Yeah, I you know come that. from the north yes, side indeed. to the south side, you better watch your back, you know. <laughs> so, so when he came in the restaurant, he eased in and... And uh, my sister Yvonne and I are sitting there, and I say, Yvonne, that's Jeff Tweedy. You know, and I'm waiting for him to come on. I <laughs> imagine it wouldn't have been too hard to recognize him in that restaurant, yeah. Oh, yes, it was. It was. <laughs> yeah, but this was in Hyde Park. Yeah. You know, I went to Hyde Park. I see. So, so, and I didn't go too deep into Hyde Park because, you know, all the colleges are over there. University of Chicago, and I didn't want him to be mobbed, you know. I knew those college kids would have known him. But when he sat down... He just sit down. He didn't say anything. Hi, Mavis. Hi, Yvonne. You know? <laughs> and uh, he just looked around a while, and we looked. And I said, no, is he, is he shy? You know, is he going to talk? I mean, he'd talk him up in the, in the hideout. You know, he was all happy and smiling. But he was very, I had to, I cracked a little joke. I can't remember what the joke was that broke up everything, made him laugh. We laughed. And. And uh, he said, well, well, you know, I said, well, do you know us? Do you know the stage? How long have you listened to it? Oh, Mavis, I've, I've known the staple singers for years. I, and when he was a teenager, he worked at a record shop. And he said, I had access to all of the staples music from the 50s and 60s. And I've listened to you all. That's all I would listen to. He talked about pops. He t- and, and well, he just he led me into his life. I let him. I told him a lot of stuff about us, you know. And um, all of a sudden, Jeff Tweedy got to talking about family, and my ears just perked up, you know. Um, uh, Pops was always, always instilling family into us. 
family. Family is the strongest unit in the world. You all stick with your family, nobody can ever break you. You know, and he started talking that, man, my, my wife and my kids and uh, his mother, <laughs> and you know, he, he, he has a twang when he talks. Yes. And I can't, I can't help but, but mock it. it. <laughs> I'm enjoying it a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, 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 I tell you, I tell you, Anthony, when Tweety, when we left that restaurant, we talked for almost three hours. And, and uh, I felt like I knew Jeff Tweedy. When, and I, I felt like we could make really good music together. Because he was just, he's, he's humble. You know, and, and uh, I asked him, I said, uh, why do you think you want to produce me? Mavis, I don't think I want to produce you. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I, I've listened to you, you know, your music for years, for years. And when I heard the concert at the, the, the hideout, I could just see you in, in the, in the, at the microphone at the loft. I said, well, all right, I'll, I'll be in touch, Tweety. We'll be in touch. We, let's get out of here. You know, and we left the restaurant, and I let uh, my, my manager know that I would think I'd feel comfortable with him producing me. And I tell you, the, the first time we, we got together, it was after, after we had that meeting. The next meeting, I had to go to the north side. I went to the loft. And this was the meeting. The loft being his studio, His right? studio, oh uh -huh. yeah, the Wilco loft. <laughs> yeah. yes. This was the meeting for us to get together on what we wanted to do. You know, the songs. And, um, um, and then I let him know, I said, look, you're gonna have to work with me. You know, I don't know what key I sing in. I still don't know what key I sing in. My father passed. <laughs> and and uh, where Pops, you know, Pops would hit the guitar, I'd know where to sing. But um, I, I sing from ear. And so I told him, I said, I, I can't tell you what key I sing in. So you're gonna have to work with me until I, so we started this list of songs, the list of songs. And I said, oh, that's, that's good, let's, let's do that. Old songs, he come with some, he's an, I said, Tweety, you are a young man with an old soul. You know, <laughs> he, he loves, and, and as I, you know, he loved the old songs from way back when, when I was a child, a lot of them. And so um, we started getting these keys and I tell him, well, that's too high, let's bring it down, bring it down, he bring it down. And, be right on time. I said, what key is that? He said, oh, maybe it's that's G, or whatever, you know. But uh, we worked together and got us a, a, a barrel of songs. Uh, we got this, this, this session start, and he heard the band. Jeff, Je I mean, um, Rick Holmstrom, and, and uh, Jeff Termis, and Soul Patrol, I call him Soul Patrol, Stephen Hodges. They were playing that night at the uh, loft. I mean, at the uh, hideout. And he said, Mavis, do you think that your, that band will play for the record? I said, yeah. Then he said, I think that's the band that needs to play for your record. And so that was just beautiful for me. The band, we knew each other. They knew me, Rick Holmstrom. Oh, Rick Holmstrom, you know, he had been um, check, uh, checking Pops out even before they started playing for us. And uh, he started hitting some licks, Pop Staples licks, I'd have to look around, boy, would you, you uh, just Pops back there? Uh, He's so yeah. 
really up on it. So now I call him Pops Jr. <laughs> and I'll, I'll stop talking and let you ask him. You know, yeah, you no, this is the easiest interview I've ever done. Enjoying it tremendously. <laughs> uh, well, you know, one of the things about uh, One True Vine is that, you know, You've got a song by Funkadelic on there. You've got a song by the band Lowe on there. You've got a song that Nick Lowe wrote for you on there. Mm. You're, you're covering such a wide range of stuff. And obviously, you know, there's your material, stuff you and Jeff wrote. And, um, you know, talk a little bit, you know, because it all comes out, like, through you, you know, mm -hmm. and it, that's the kind of unifying thing. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard you talk a bit about, you know, people ask you about, you know, the difference between, you know, what is, what is sacred music and mm -hmm. what is you know, like popular music. And, mm -hmm. you know, you talk about the message and what you bring and some of the things that are in those pop songs are as deep as what's in a gospel song. Right. And, and the gospel songs certainly rock as hard as anything that that's right. it's on the radio, you know. Mm -hmm. You just talk a little bit about, you know, just singing that range of things and finding your way mm -hmm. into it. You know, um, the staple singers, you know, we started singing strictly gospel. And um, as time went on, we started working with Dr. King. We joined the movement. We, we would, would write the freedom songs for the movement. We would march. And uh, actually, we'd sing before Dr. King would speak. You know, he had a favorite song. He'd tell Pops every night, now, Stape, you're going to sing my song tonight, right? Pops said, oh, yeah, doctor, we're going to sing your song. And that was why am I treated so bad. But as time went on, you know, we, we wanted our message to be heard. We wanted, we, we, gospel singing, strictly gospel was fine. Gospel music back then was only played like five o'clock in the morning when everybody was still in bed, you know. And uh, we, we, we started being invited to folk festivals and jazz festivals, blue, all, every category of music we were in. So, Pop said, listen, you all, we first heard Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan was saying, you know, we, we were on this, this television show together, and we was on the side talking, and Pop said, wait a minute, y'all listen to what that kid is saying. And he was saying, how many roads must a man walk down before you can call him a man? And Pops could literally, you know, live that song. He'd tell us stories about there were times when he was a boy in Mississippi. If he was walking on the sidewalk and a white man started coming towards him on that same side of the street, he'd have to cross over. So we went home, we got Dylan's records, and we learned that song. From that, it just snowballed, you know. We were, we were singing message songs, and we heard, for what it's worth, something's happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. And Pop said, you know, these songs, these are gospel. We can sing these, we're not getting far away from our gospel, but we need to start singing these songs that will be played on the radio, that people can hurt, be heard, they can be heard, and people will hear our music to where we can do some good. You know, we, we were singing songs of inspiration, singing songs with positive messages to inspire you, to keep getting up, motivate you. You know, give you a reason to get up in the morning. Respect yourself. Respect yourself. You know, I'll take you there. We got put out of church for singing I'll Take You There because, yeah, it went across the board. And time they would start playing it, everybody would hit the floor dancing. So the people said, well, the stable singers singing the devil's music. 
you know? And they didn't want us in church. And we had to do so many interviews. I do interviews, I tell people, listen, the devil ain't got no music. All music is God's music. We're telling you, I know a place. Ain't nobody crying. Ain't nobody worried. Ain't no smiling faces lying to the races. Where could we be taking you but to heaven? And after I said, you have to listen to our lyrics. Just because people are dancing on that beat, you know. So after that, we were invited back to church. The very first song that was requested, I'll take you there. Right in the pulpit, you know. So we, we, just, we just try to sing um, what needs to be, you know, Pops would start telling songwriters, if you want to write for the Staples, read the headline. We want to sing about what's happening in the world today. If there's something happening that needs fixing, we want to try to sing a song that might help fix it. Well, you know, one before we open the floor to questions, I just want to ask you one last, I mean, God, I could talk to you all night, but um, I wanted to ask about Pop Staples. You know, I mean, obviously your father, the founder of the Staples Singers, you know, a visionary in every regard, you know, an amazing songwriter, musical arranger, and an astonishing guitar player, <laughs> hugely influential, and, uh, you know, evidently a pretty good dad, too. He I mean, was a good dad. Could you he talk was. to him just a little bit about, talk, tell us a little bit about what Pop Staples was like? Yes, well, Pops, Pops was a hands-on, Pops, he was hands-on dad, you know. He, <clears throat> he would take us kids to the movies on Saturdays and take us to Sunday school on Sunday morning. Then he would play with us all the time, you know. He'd make us popcorn balls. He'd make us candy, peanut brittle. And, <laughs> and my mother, she just let him have us. You know, he... he <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she was delighted, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was grateful, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but we were always with Pops. And Pops, you know, in, before we started singing, he was a construction worker in Chicago. And he'd take us riding after we get out of Sunday school. He'd take us riding in the car and he'd point to buildings and, and tell us, I put a mini bricks on that building. I put bricks on that, you know, uh, buildings that are in Chicago. And so Pops, we just stayed with our father. He took care of us a lot. And when I was about seven years old, Mom, she worked nights, Pops worked days, and Pops was keeping us. Well, for a while, my Aunt Katie lived with us. So when he was singing with an all-male group the Trumpet Jubilees. And, and uh, these guys wouldn't come to rehearsal. Pops would go to rehearsal one week, he'd come back home disgusted. He'd go another time, come back home disgusted. This last time he went to rehearsal, the guys, two or three there, you know, he came home, he went straight to the closet where he had a little guitar that he bought at the pawn shop. And he called us children into the living room, set us on the floor in a circle, and begin to give us voices to sing that he and his sisters and brothers would sing when they were in Mississippi. And he'd give us these, and we sing. One night, my Aunt Katie came through. She said, shucks, y'all sound pretty good. I believe I want y'all to sing at my church Sunday. <laughs> we jumped up. We were so happy we were going to sing someplace other than on the living room floor. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so we go to Aunt Katie's church and we sing this song. The people clapped us back. We didn't know. Some people, had to, they want you again, baby. Get up. They, they clapping you back. <laughs> so we sang that song again. They clapped some more. You know, we sang the same song three times. You know, it was the only song that Pops had taught us all the way through. <laughs> so Pops says, shucks, these people like us. We're going home and learning some more songs. And the rest is history. We've been going ever since. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. My father, Pop Staple. Well, uh, we'd love to have some questions uh, from all of you. Thanks for coming out on such a rainy night, but what better reason to be here? Uh, do we have any questions? Mavis, I just wanted to say hello to you. I'm Susan. We filmed you for Women Who Rock two years ago. Oh, that hi. was on PBS. <laughs> We're hi, your biggest Susan. fans. So this was spectacular. I live around the corner. I just walked in, and, and here you are. Oh, so thank you thank for you coming so out. Thank you so much for it's good sharing to see this with you. us. Good to see you, too. All right. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering if there's like a story or maybe a memory that you could share with us from the Watts Stacks concert, uh, because it's to me it's like, I don't know, it's one of the maybe, if not the most soulful day this earth has ever seen. Uh, that was a good day. You know, and we almost didn't make it. We were working in the Sands Hotel. We were opening for Sammy Davis Jr. at the Sands Motel in Las Vegas. And so this particular day, for what's that? Pops had told Al Bell and everybody at Stacks we couldn't be there because we had to be at the Sands. And that night, the next morning, Pops find out that Sammy Davis has shut the show down for that night. He was going to Washington. You know, I don't know if you remember the big hug, Sammy Davis Jr. and Nixon. Uh, yeah, yes, he, indeed. That's what they. That was where. That's where he was going. That's where he went to. And that's why you went to watch. <laughs> and we went that's to watch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went to watch that. The neck. That picture was all over the place on the front page. Nixon and Sammy Davis hugging, and we had watch stacks rocking. You know, <laughs> we we pops called Al Bell and said, "Man, we can make it. We can make it." We got there and said, you all get your stuff. We're going to California. Got in the car. If you notice at the beginning of the movie, we're in the car eating. We, <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't had anything. We jumped in the car. We went to watch that. We sang our songs. We enjoyed the show. We stayed. We saw Rufus Thomas and everybody. You know? oh, yeah. But we had to get right back for because the next day we had to open again for Sammy. But that's the only way we made it to watch Stacks. And that was a great day. That's a day I'll never forget. That was the most people that we had ever seen. 100,000, that stadium was full. And that was the most people we had ever seen in front of. And, and it was just an experience. It was quite an experience that I'll never forget. I'm so glad they made a DVD of it so we can see it over <laughs> and over and over, you know. That's yeah. a great story. Thank you. Hi, hi, Mavis. Hi. <laughs> my name is William. Thank you so much again for your time, your generosity, oh, and your friend. music. No problem. Um, you know, your music definitely has never failed to uplift me many a times in my life, especially during the hard times and the busy times and the, you know, rainy oh, days. wonderful. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I definitely think one of the things that is remarkable about the music you produce is the message as well as just your soul. And I definitely always feel your heart and soul. Yes. And I have two questions. One, what is the message that we can expect to hear from One True Vine, and two, what goes through your mind when you're performing and singing? You know, 
Uh, the message you can expect from One Two, two Vine is actually what we, we've been telling you down through the years. You know, stay on a positive train, <clears throat> hold your head up. If you fall down, get up, dust off, keep going. You know, it's, it's, it's the same positive and informative message that we've been the staple singers, that's us. And, and, and your next question was, um, what do I feel? You know, Pops taught me years ago, Mavis, you don't need no gimmicks. You don't need to clown. You don't need to sing at the top of your voice. You sing from your heart. If you sing from your heart, you'll reach the people. What comes from the heart reaches the heart. And that's what I feel. When I, want, when I go on stage, I want to reach somebody. I want to touch somebody. You know, I feel like if I, if I can reach just one, then my living has not been in vain. You know, that's, that's what I live for, is the, the people. That's what's keeping me, you see, I'm not no spring chicken. And that's the, the people are what's keeping me going. You know, I live to sing for my fans and the, the people that come out to see us. But I feel, it, with each song, I have a different feeling. You know, it depends on what I'm singing. Sometimes I get so happy, you know, I start creating different stuff on stage that I never said before, you know. So it's just, it's a good feeling. That's, all, that's the best I can tell you, is that I get a good feeling because I'm so happy when I'm singing, <laughs> you know. It's all I know to do. Hi, good evening. I love how you can bring the healing feeling of the spiritual tradition to songs that aren't of that tradition. But I'm wondering, what are your favorite spirituals? Oh, well, well, for for one, you know, will the circle be unbroken? It's got to be. That was the very first song our father taught us. Will the circle be unbroken? And and uh, I love Precious Lord, Take My Hand. You know, the songs that that I would hear when I was a child. You know, I would go to church with my grandmother, and I heard songs that. My grandmother's church was the little wooden church that we talk about up on a hill, you know. And she lived in Mount Bayou, Mississippi. We would walk the highway down the gravel road from Mount Bayou to Marigold, Mississippi, which was maybe about five, four or five miles, every Wednesday, every Friday, and every Sunday. And this church was just a wooden Wooden floors, wooden benches, no organ, no piano. It's the best sound I've ever heard in my life. And I'll never forget it. They would sing, one song they would sing is on One True Vine. And that is, what are they doing in heaven today? Sin and sorrow all done away. Peace said by like a river, they say. What are they doing there now? You know, and those are songs that, that I love. And you, I didn't mean, I don't need a hand for that. I, I, sometimes I can't help it. When you ask me a question about a song, I got to give you a little bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mavis. Hi. Thank you for your music. Thank you. Do you remember the first time you heard, like, Sister Rosetta Tharp or, you know, Mahalia Jackson? Was there some sort of a lightning bolt that happened? I mean, can oh you talk God. about that? Do you remember what song it was? Or Yes, indeed. I remember very well. And I tell you, I remember Sister Rosetta Tharp and I was Sister Mahalia Jackson 
was the very first female that I heard sing a song. And, and I tell you, I was a, a child, about eight years old, sitting back in my little play area playing with my dolls. Pops was up in the front in the living room playing 78 records. And he was mostly playing, you know, the Dixie Hummingbird, the Soul Stirrers, the Blind Boy, all male groups. All of a sudden I heard this lady's voice. And it I rose up, I moseyed on off into the living room where Pops was, and I sit on the floor, and Pops tells me, he said, Mavis, you were just rocking. You know, I said, Daddy, who was that? He said, that's Sister, that's Sister Mahalia Jackson. You like that, don't you? I said, yes, sir, I like that. <laughs> and Pops had to play Sister Mahalia for me just about every day, every day. And he'd always tell me, Mavis, don't you mess with my record. I'll play Sister Mahalia Jackson when I come back. <laughs> you know, but that was, and my experience with, with Sister Haley, you know, the best thing, he came in one day from work. He said, Mavis, guess what? I said, what, Daddy? He said, they want us to open up for Sister Mahalia Jackson down at Tabernacle Baptist Church on Monday night. And man, I tell you, my little heart felt like it was coming out of my chest. It's a long story. I won't tell you no more. <laughs> but I finally met her. Yeah, I finally met her. And we became really close. She became real close with my mother. She taught me how to take care of my voice. My sister Mahalia Jackson. I'll never forget it. That's why the voice is still going strong, Rick. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for that question. <laughs> Mavis, I mean, God, it's so moving just listening to you, and it, I really am just so thrilled to be here tonight. Thanks oh, so Anthony, much. Anthony, Oh, my goodness. You're the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much.